Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about gift card scams. What are they? Why are they so popular? And who falls for them? Joining me today is Kathy Stokes. She is the Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, gift cards are a huge thing for scammers. A lot of them really want the gift cards. Why? Why are they such a big commodity for scammers? Well, you can find one anywhere, so um, they're easily accessible. And they're also virtually untraceable, which, you know, is something that a scammer really wants. It's almost as good as money, uh, cash money that way. How do scammers get people to buy the gift cards so they can collect the money? So there are two different ways. One is where the scammer will go into a store either in person or be able to hack into systems to manipulate the gift cards and monitor for them being purchased so that when I pick up a gift card that I'm going to send to you for $25 for your birthday or something, I go to the uh, register and I um, get purchase it, it activates the card. Well, the scammer sees that in a computer al- algorithm he's created, and as soon as that activation happens, he's able to drain the funds. And we were really surprised to learn that 25% of U.S. adults have experienced giving or receiving a gift card with no value on it. Wow. I'm sorry, that just floors me. So how do you, <laughs> how do you build anti-theft barcodes on a gift card? You know, I think that's up to industry to figure out. Um, I think that, you know, some of this is probably, you know, an error at the purchase or perhaps somebody used the card and kept the the physical card and just didn't remember. But when we're talking 25% of U.S. adults having experienced this, we know that there's, there's fraud involved there. And then there's the other piece of gift card fraud where a scammer will try to convince somebody that they owe some major financial obligation and that the best way to deal with it is to go to a store, buy gift cards, share the numbers off the back, and that solves the problem. And one in three Americans have been targeted by that. And then of those, 25% of them went on to purchase that gift card and share the numbers off the back, which just gave the scammer the money. Why do people think that that is a valid way to pay off some type of debt you think you owe? 
Well, you know, it it doesn't sound like we would believe that if somebody told it to us, but these cameras are really good at what they do. These are often transnational criminal enterprises. They have money, they have employees, they have time, they have a playbook, and that playbook says get that target quickly into a heightened emotional state because if you can do that, they're not going to easily be able to access logical thinking. So if you get a call or an email or a text and it puts you into a really heightened emotional state right away, that's a huge red flag that somebody's trying to manipulate you. Do you have examples of how someone would put, let's say you're the scammer, Kathy, you've just called me. How are you going to put me in a heightened emotional state? I'm going to take one of two tracks. I'm going to either say, this is the IRS. You've been ignoring our letters. You owe back taxes, and I'm sending a warrant for your arrest. If you don't pay your back taxes right now, you will be arrested today. That's the scary And the good would be like, hey, I'm so glad to talk with you today because you've won the publisher's clearinghouse. This time it's a million dollars in a car. Get the person really excited. They can't access logical thinking. And they can say, hey, so all you have to do is pay some upfront fees. And you know what? The easiest way to do that is just uh, run down to the CVS and pick up a couple of Target cards, put $200 on each of them, share the numbers off the back, and we'll, we'll send you the money. And you're so excited, you're in that in that heightened emotional state, and you do that, and of course, you don't get the lottery. And in some cases with these lottery scams, they keep coming back to you because they can string you along because you stay in that emotional state of, oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire. Right. Now, let's say I fall for the initial, oh my gosh, I'm going to win a million dollars. And I start driving to the store. Wouldn't my rational mind sort of start kicking in between the time I leave my home and I actually get to the store to try to buy these cards? Well, the criminals have already thought of that, and they keep you on the phone. So they will talk you through the entire time, from the time you first pick up that call to when you're in the store and purchasing the card. They will explain things to you like you can't tell anybody else what's happening here, and they'll do it in a way that makes it sound plausible. They'll tell you if if the retail cashier tries to tell you not to do it, that, um, you know, just ignore them. And they coach you all along the way. Okay, well, to me, that would be another red flag, that if they insist on staying on the phone with you, I will not be on my phone while I'm driving. To me, that's a safety issue. So to me, that's a red flag if they insist on being on the phone with me the entire time through this whole process. So for you, that would be something that would probably break you out of that heightened emotional state and you would realize what was happening and you would hang up. Other people may not. What are some ways we can break that cycle? Or I guess people just have to get educated on what the scams are, but we've been talking about this for years and years and years. Why doesn't everyone know this by now? Yeah, you'd be surprised, right? You think that um, we're getting the word out, but it, it continues to happen. And part of it is is that word only goes so far. And what we always encourage people to do is if if you're listening to a news program or you've just read something and you've learned something new about how scammers work and what the latest scam is, share it. You know, talk to your family, talk to your friends. Everybody in your community deserves to know that because that essentially stops them 
from engaging with it. And we know by research that if you know about a specific scam, you're 80% less likely to engage with it. And if you do engage, you're 40% less likely to lose money or sensitive information. So it is really important to be talking about these things and sort of stay up, stay abreast of them. But it's not just the consumer's responsibility. By far, industry needs to take a role here. What can retailers and uh, card issuers and payment processors do to combat this kind of fraud? And then it's uh, also an issue of public policy. Should lawmakers be looking at ways through legislation or regulation to to uh, modify how these things happen so that so many people aren't falling victim to this kind of fraud? So you work for AARP, Kathy. So I'm assuming that in your line of work, you deal more with the fraud for people 50 and older. But is it only the older generation that is falling for these scams? I'm so glad you asked that because there's a really widely held assumption that it's older people that get targeted and lose money to fraud. But the actual truth is younger people report being uh, victimized by fraud more often than older people. The key difference is that when an older person is victimized, they lose so much more money. You know, if a 20-year-old loses uh, $200 to a tech support scam, he's young, it's unfortunate that it happened, he's not going to get his money back, but he's still in the workforce, he has time to sort of make up for that. If you're 80 and you've just lost several thousand dollars to a fraud, you're not getting that money back, and that has severe implications for the older adult. And I would think the reasons that people fall for the scam when they're younger versus older are different. In my mind, I see older people, many of them just starting to lose their mental faculties. And so it's much easier to confuse them, to get them to do things that perhaps, you know, 10 years previous they wouldn't have. But for the younger set, what triggers them to fall for these scams? You know, I think it depends on the individual and sort of where they are. You think of digital natives. If um, if so, if you're online and, you know, you get a pop-up that says there's a problem with your computer, well, then there's probably a problem with your computer. At least you're thinking that because it's just sort of the space that you know, and that's a scam. And, you know, you speak about older people may have some, you know, cognitive decline. That is certainly the case sometimes, but it is by no means always the case. It's just that the criminals are really sophisticated. They know what they need to do to get you into a heightened emotional state, and they take it from there. And, you know, it's transnational criminal enterprises. This isn't some guy in his mom's basement making a phone call here and there. This is a real-time criminality, and it's us against them. Yeah, they're set up like call centers. You can hear them in the background. There might be up to 200 other people in the same room all calling at the same time trying to get them to go get gift cards and cash them in. Yeah, and they use the technology of uh, being able to send, you know, thousands of robocalls at a time. And all they need is maybe 1% or 2% of people who receive that call to act, you know, to press 1 to talk to them or to call a number back. That's all they need. And they can make a ton of money that way. All right. So you spoke of getting the word out, talking to our neighbors to try to make sure they're aware of these scams. What are some other ways we can prevent being scammed with gift cards? Well, when we talk about Purchasing gift cards, you know, to give as a gift, 
I think the safest way to do that is to go to the website of the card issuer and make the purchase there. They can send an electronic card to your recipient or they can mail a card to them. I think that's just the safest way to do it um, because don't save a way for a criminal to interfere with that. If you do purchase a card from a retail environment, just beware when you go up to that car, that card rack, is it close to the cashier? So it's a better chance that they've been sort of keeping an eye on things and nobody's going to be surreptitiously taking cards off and manipulating them. Don't take that first card that's on the hanger. You know, pull back to toward the end and, and then take a real close look at that card. Is it well packaged? Is that package in any way manipulated? If you feel safe about the card, when you go to purchase it, make sure you keep the receipt. They also give you that activation receipt. You want to hold on to that. And if that card can be registered, sometimes there's that option, go ahead and register it because that could help you in the future if you find there was no value on it. And then if you are in the store, if I fall for this scam and I have people coming up to me saying, can I help you? And the person on the other end is, don't talk to them, don't talk to them. How can I deal with that situation or possibly clue into, hey, maybe this isn't something I should be doing? You know, it's tough because when you're in that state that they've gotten you into, you may not listen to anybody, but it doesn't mean that retailers shouldn't try. And a lot of them do try. Um, there are many that are training their employees on, on what to look for, for signs of this scam and trying to intervene. Um, putting signs up may help. It's, there's got to be something happening at the point of sale to try to interrupt this. And if it's not through point of sale, then it's got to be looking at uh, data analytics to see what they can learn, what retailers, gift card issuers, and payment processors can learn about what this kind of fraud looks like on the back end so that they can identify and stop it and get the money back to the victim. Anything else you want the listeners to know about on gift card scams? I think that just like was I, what I was saying is, you know, share what you've learned. Um, it's really important, as arduous as it may seem, we have to be thinking about scams because if we're not thinking about it, then we're more at risk. So you can sign up for a biweekly alert at the FraudWatch Network webpage at aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. You can get that by email or by text. And it's just sort of a, considered a reminder for yourself to engage your inner skeptic more than you might otherwise aarp.org slash network, and I will link that to the description in this show so if people want help they can go there and learn more <coughs> excuse thank me learn you more so much yeah I appreciate that all right thank you so much Kathy Stokes again you are the director of fraud prevention programs with AARP thanks for your time thanks for listening you can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com that's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com and because this is money making sense you can subscribe for free on spotify overcast apple podcast anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast and you'll never miss another episode Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.